0: Hey everybody, welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time I'll be talking about psychos on the loose. First I've got to start with uh, Pippin. Everything has its season, everything has its time. Show me a reason and I'll soon show you a rhyme. Cats fit on the windowsill, children fit in the snow. Why do I feel I don't fit in anywhere I go? Rivers belong where they can ramble. Eagles belong where they can fly. I've got to be where my spirit can run free. Got to find my corner of the sky. Now, I'm no singer, but I'm saying this to point out that different strokes for different folks, and sometimes those strokes are not exactly socially acceptable. Now, me, I've done podcasts about being uh, involved with uh, and very unpleasantly and terrifyingly with a Satan worshiper. I've been a crime victim on a number of occasions. I've been gay bashed violently twice. I've been a passenger in seven automobile collisions. I have been mugged 11 times. I have been an unwitting unwilling, unwanted subject of ECT or electroshock therapy. I have been a hostage on a holiday evening at a home of somebody I came to after coming home from my own family's occasion, and uh, I had to hide out from a crazed, drunken gunman holding everybody hostage. While he put a forty four magnum underneath the chin of a wise guy who made a smart Alecky remark to him, now i 've been through a few things, so i 'll say this: many of us spend our entire lives searching. I know I do to do whatever extent I do, but there is always something nagging at me somewhere in my mind for something else. Or for something more, or something different, or something I just can't articulate or explain. It's a rather strange way to approach the subject of the Long Island serial killer. I do have a backstory of this. In the summer of 1980, I flipped burgers at Toa Bay Beach, the beach in Nassau County on the line between Nassau and Suffolk just west of Gilgo Beach. I worked on the beach and I worked on the marina as well. I used to love to drive that very long stretch from the water tower at Jones Beach straight down to Cap Tree. And you'd go past Rye Beach and Oak Beach and the famous Oak Beach Inn all the way down to the bridge that took you over to Robert Moses State Park, which is the farthest west point of Fire Island. Now, at one point, a long time ago, there was so much beach erosion that the Jones Beach Parkway was in danger of collapsing. So the Army Corps of Engineers had boats and barges stationed a little bit offshore, And they were dredging sand from the water and then replacing it and piling it up higher on the dunes on the side of the highway. So it felt like you were driving through a canyon of sand at certain points. And beneath you, if you could see, you would see that the water had been eroding the sand underneath the pylons so that it was becoming dangerous. And I, of course, in my weird mind thought that it was a strange thing to see, but also because I worked on the bayside in the marina at Tobey Beach, it was next to a federally protected bird sanctuary. So very few people were allowed to go there. And if you went anywhere close to the bird sanctuary, you were very likely bitten by gigantic green flies. So it was an unpleasant place to go outside of just the uh, marina area. And I thought it was strange that you could do things there only with a federal uh, certificate, or permit. And I remember uh, soap operas were filming there, and they were doing location shootings at this bird sanctuary. Because of whatever the storyline was, that was the closest place they could go. But it was a rather big deal. So it was relatively isolated. And when the Army Corps of Engineers had created all these high dunes on either side of the highway, I thought to myself, in the weird part of my mind, that if someone wanted to murder somebody, they could easily stash the body underneath these pylons. And when the boats came along, they could just cover people up. And you'd never be able to find them, or no one would be able to look for them, or no one would even think to look for them. And I said this to people, and they all looked at me as if I was crazy, or as if I was somebody who was going to do this. But I just thought it was a really strange thing. So, I've always kept that in the back of my mind. Fast forward to one night in the 90s. Bruce and I went to the Lure a fetish bar at 409 West 13th Street in the Meatpacking District, when it was still actually the Meatpacking District. It was seedy. The lure stood for leather, uniforms, rubber, etc. Mostly leather, but anything went. I looked at the overwhelming majority uh, of the fetishes, uh, which were the attraction to many patrons of the place, as mere window dressing, for me anyway. But I learned about a number of people who hung out there who were looking for some dom-sub scenes, including ones where they would be submerged or in some sort of binding costume where their breathing would be regulated via patches of cloth or rubber held up against their mouths and noses, or they would be in some sort of contraption where they would breathe through a tube like a snorkel, and all weird shit. I could never get my head around or have any interest in participating in. Not my flavor. But to each his own, said the farmer as he kissed the cow's ear, which is why I quoted Pippin, and I sang off key. There were occasionally uh, even Orthodox Jews who would come in in groups out of curiosity and ask people loads of serious questions, and then suddenly leave. Uh, I got hit on by a well-known porn store while waiting online to buy drinks, and one night a tall, thin, leather guy in a bodysuit that had a leather coxcomb, a chainmail facial veil, and leather finger gloves who had been mysteriously surveying the room we were in and walking around the place in a slow, distinct manner, suddenly approached us as the bitter Charles Nelson Riley, <laughs> and asked us if we had changed for a dollar or two. We did. And while we were making change, he told us the fucking bartender wouldn't give me any fucking change for the fucking pool table, which kind of distracted from the mystique he was working so hard at radiating. Strange stuff all the time. All sorts of weird shit. And when they turned the house lights up at the end of the night, it was a freak show. I mean, seriously. And I am talking Corner of the Sky from Pippin. So, we were there, and this one guy, who was in his mid-50s, above, sort of, 50s, going into 60s maybe, who was a bit stocky, had a mustache, wore older guy comfort clothes, jeans, boots, flannel shirt, I think a car coat jacket thing named Rod, was sitting next to me and started chatting me up while we were sitting in these bleacher seats they had in the pool table area. He was proud of being on the cover of a zine at the time. I don't know if you remember zines, but in the 90s, pre-internet, they had things called zines instead of blogs, which were small niche magazines. And he proudly carried it around with him to show and tell anyone he could. And it was, you know, again, it was pre-internet and made for a niche audience. Rod said he was a trucker. He was the featured cover guy for this zine. He said he lived in Tom's River, two and a half hours drive away. He told me, and this chilled me to the bone, like as he was telling me, like when the crazy synth music plays on Law & Order and the witness on the witness stand starts to confess to the gruesome crime and it takes them all by surprise and grosses them out? I knew exactly then this guy was another John Wayne Gacy. Really. That he wanted me, and I assume anyone else who fit his mental picture after I flatly refused to accompany him back to Tom's River that night in his truck. And this was around midnight, by the way. Now, I don't know if this guy actually had a truck, if he lived in Tom's River, if any of what he said was the truth, but this is how he portrayed himself. He told me that he lived at home with his 85-year-old mother. He also told me that he turned the basement into a fully equipped black-painted dungeon and that he had a steel chain winch with shackles that hung from the ceiling. Now, if he actually did have a home in Toms River, New Jersey, and he actually was a trucker, and he had a truck, was his mother, Norman Bates's mother, and she was the mummified skeleton remains sitting in a rocking chair, it's uh, quite possible. He told me that he wanted me... To come with him right then and there so that he could take me, strip me down, shackle me, hoist me up to the ceiling facing down, and I assume drug me into unconsciousness, and then take a speculum type of thing that inserts into your urethra to widen it. Like, okay, this will be fun. I'm into it, man. Totally hot scene. A mutually gratifying, consequence-free, erotic, wild ride experience. (laughs) And I assumed he would stab and carve me into pieces and eat the body parts like a cannibal. And of course, I assumed that he wanted to tie my remains into a weighted body bag and toss them into the water nearby. I was fucking horrified, and this freak was totally nonchalant, which made it scarier. He just moved on to the next potential unsuspecting victim. Bruce still is quite uncomfortable even discussing this guy. Fuck no. And I have never got the chill of that sick motherfucker out of my head, and it was between 25 and 30 years ago. And how many other rotting remains are at the bottom of the river nearby, or have been buried and cemented into the walls of that house? And when people talk about this guy, Rex Hoyerman, understand these people are very ordinary in their appearance and their demeanor, just like they say about Rex Hoyerman. You would just take him for granted. But underneath lies a very, very sick mind. Be careful. Be very careful. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out.